Is your guac about to get more expensive here within the next couple of days? Is the rare earth mania real this time? We'll talk about that. The 10-year yield continues its march towards zero. We told you a bunch of podcasts ago this was going to happen. It's headed in that direction. We also told you that this might be a real move in gold. It's holding 1340 as we speak. Horses are dying in Santa Anita. We will talk about that. We'll talk recession warnings. We'll talk social media. We'll talk the Fed. This is episode 22 of Bizarro World. I am Gerardo Del Real with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. Nick, how are you today? If I recall, avocados are one of the few foods that uh, farm chickens should not have. Why is that? Oh, we're going to start off with some culture. I like this. Let's go. Why can't farm chickens have avocados? You know, um, when you have chickens farmyard chickens or whatever you normally give them table scraps you, at least when i was growing up we would scrape our plates what the dogs didn't get into um an old butter container and that's what would get thrown to the chickens when you walk down to the barn the next morning and you know they would all come out and eat all the table scraps but um i didn't know about the avocados then when i was little but recently when we got chickens here i was you know reading about just raising chickens in general, setting up a coop, living conditions, et cetera. And it was, if I recall correctly, I'll, I'll Google it after and put up a link if, uh, if I'm right, that um, you're not, one of the few things you're not supposed to give them is avocados. It's quasi-poisonous, I think, in, in, in large enough doses. Not that you would want to really, I mean, I eat all my avocado. It's not like, like you say, it's expensive and about to get more expensive. It's not like there's leftover avocado in the Hodge household. But anyway, Random knowledge for you. I'm doing good. How's it going? I like it. Things are fantastic. I just got back last night from the 121 Mining Investment Conference in New York. It was a very, very interesting dynamic. The actual conference was on Tuesday and Wednesday. And if, if, if you kept up with the price of gold here during the week, you know, Monday had a good solid move. Tuesday was kind of consolidating. So on Tuesday, when the conference kicked off, everybody was somber. I, I attended a, uh, a panel. You know, and there were five experts there, big funds, institutional guys and gals. And um, everybody was of the opinion that there would be some profit taking and they weren't convinced that we would hold 1340 or frankly, even 1330. The following day, it held and then pushed up over that 1340 mark. And here we are today. We record this on Friday. You know, we're sitting right at that 1340 level. So you and I have had ongoing discussions here over the past couple of weeks. I think you were a bit more pessimistic, cautiously. I was a little bit more cautiously optimistic on the gold price. Um, I'm I'm, I'm an optimist by nature. I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I'm going to go on the record and say that this move in gold actually will hold. Now, profit taking is going to happen as it always does. Um, This one feels a little bit different. I haven't seen any of the big dumping of gold to get that price down that usually happens when you have a $40 or $50 run in the price of gold. Um, This last run is pretty impressive. If we look at the juniors, they don't believe it. The market doesn't believe that this move is going to hold in gold. And that actually, um, you know, I tweeted earlier from the conference that 40 people telling me this wasn't going to hold made my contrarian self smile. And so, you know, when it comes to the gold juniors, the best names out there, the Revival Golds, the Midas Golds, the Almaden Minerals, this may be the best buying opportunity in a decade. Almaden Minerals, for example, is trading at pre-discovery levels 
um, back in 2010. That's nine years ago. Here we are, millions of ounces of gold later. Um, and, you know, it's sitting there at the 67 cent level Canadian. So this may be, this may be it. This may be it. I would get positioned for those of you that are cautious out there. Pick three or four names, initiate a small position, see if I'm right or wrong. If I'm wrong, you don't lose too much. If I'm right, you know, you might be getting doubles and triples really, really quick. It's an interesting time. Thoughts, Nick? I yawned for several weeks in a row, you'll remember, when we were talking about gold. And then last week, I told you that the gold sector did not get a yawn. And I had, in fact, um, put a trade on personally on a leveraged gold ETF. So solid getting a bit more exciting. And um, I'm not going to outright agree with the, the sentiment that it's going to hold this time. But I see indications that it's different this time um uh, here's just two of them one is that um people that i would consider in my sphere to be gold permables like you said do not believe it there i just see them hedging in their public comments and uh and writings saying the same things you know uh we don't know if it's going to hold or expect profit taking or just speaking out of both sides of their mouth still not convinced i'm talking people who are who are typically bullish in gold and so uh typical of being conditioned for so long like pavlov's dog right that we've just been downtrodden in the sector for so long that we don't believe it or like crying wolf uh or whatever and then another indication i i saw this week that that it might be a bit different is well one you got the whole rate curve thing which you should talk about in a, in a second which you understand better than i do i tell you all the time um but is and so i think we're due for a recession um that that's one thing but mainstream commentators like the so-called uh fintwit people or whatever bloomberg people cnbc people um the way they interpreted the uh, response to the jobs numbers today mm. i think uh there was only seventy-five thousand jobs and the the market was expecting whatever the market was expecting well over a hundred thousand and so it was supposed to be a dismal number but the market ripped higher right because why because um the daddy jerome so is coming to the rescue right Right, because the number was so bad that the Fed was going to give uh, more alcohol in the punch. They were going to cut rates. And so I saw mainstream commentators write with, with people like you and I have been writing for years saying that the market's been going up for all the wrong reasons. It's sort of a, a fake bull market. It's just because of buybacks and cheap rates and QE, et cetera. And normally that would be, you know, the, the mainstream folks would sort of turn their nose up at that a bit or their uh cufflinks or whatever but um this time i saw them saying what i just said why is the market going up if the number was so bad why is the market like asking for a rate cut that's not not why it should be going up and i felt like hitting myself in the hammer in the head with a hammer agreed let, let, let's be absolutely clear everybody and then again we said this really early in the year when everybody was calling for two or three rate hikes this year uh we actually told you you're gonna get at least one rate cut and possibly two. It was a matter of math. Let's talk about the jobs number. It was 75,000 jobs created. The expectation was somewhere in the 180,000 range. Let's talk about the 10-year yield. The 10-year yield is now down to about a 2.06% 10-year yield. Let's compare that to where it can go. Germany, which has a robust economy, right? They have a negative zero, negative 
0.02% yield. That's a lot of basis points between where they're at and where we are at. Now, let's be clear about another thing. If you're not rich, if you're not a bank, if you don't own real estate or equities, the Fed doesn't give two fucks about you. So you should get positioned the way that the rich people are positioned because that's who Sugar Daddy Jerome is going to take care of. And so look at the model in Japan. We can play this artificial stimulation propping up of the stock market game for a very long time. I've said this repeatedly. It seems like every month I write to subscribers that, you know, we got we have to play the long game because the long game is Europe blows up first, Japan blows up first, where the cleanest dirty shirt be in the US, um, in the laundry basket. That is absolutely still the case. So everybody that's calling for a stock market crash in the US indices. I'll go on record right now again and tell you that's not going to happen. Um, anybody that doesn't understand the problems that the rest of the world has and only looks at the stock market from a U.S.-centric perspective um, would be well-versed and suited to, to, to get familiar with what's happening in Europe, what's happened in Japan, how long it's happened for, um, what the ECB is doing. It's a mess out there, and the U.S. is going to benefit from it. And again, the last point I'll make, and we talked about this last week, 2020 is an election year here in the U.S. There is no way in hell that the Fed steps in and cuts um, or raises rates, I'm sorry, during an election year. It's just not going to happen. So the market is one way right now. Expect rate cuts. Expect borrowing to get cheaper to stimulate the real estate market, to stimulate banks and the financial institutions in this country. And yes, to stimulate the U.S. indices, that's going to happen. I think that's why gold is holding its gains and, and, and the ETFs are piling in and, and not actually um, hedging as much as they have in the past. So let's see if it holds. I could be wrong about the short-term move. I do not believe I am wrong about the coming bull, my, bull market that's coming. It's going um, to be, frankly, why we've taken the pain of the last several years. What is the next technical level for gold? I've said we have to break 1374 and hold it um, on a monthly level. If we close this month above 1354, I think if I look back over the past three or four months, I don't think that we've been able to hold that. And I'm, I'm freestyling here. But the, the critical one for me is that 1374 level. If we can break that on a monthly basis, then we're off to the races to 1400. And if you look at a three to five year chart, there's not much happening between 1400 and 1550. So if we can, if we can break 1374 on a monthly Hold 1400, I expect a ramp up to 15, 1550 within 60 days of hitting that 1375 level and holding it. It's funny how, how fast things turn. You were saying, you know, you're at the conference, um, and I want to hear more about the conference, that it was, you know, downtrodden on, on the Tuesday. early days. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then by Wednesday, right. everybody had a pep in their step, and everybody wanted to talk um, gold again, and everybody wanted to talk about the best deposits. And again, you know, there's the, the juniors aren't responding yet. Midas Gold was down 7% today, partly on, you know, a... Uh, uh, a minor issue that, that I don't want to get too much into because I have an interview with CEO Stephen Quinn on Tuesday where we'll talk about it in detail. But, you know, it, I, I think that the junior market and, and speculators in the space do not believe this move. And that makes me smile because they've believed all the other ones. Where, where I have it, I've been very cautious and I've told subscribers for years, it's not prime time for gold yet. It's We're just not there yet. I, I actually think um, I think we're here now. And I'm going to say something the gold bugs will hate me for. I think it's time for cryptos again, too. 
I, I, I think the big, <laughs> you know, I think the big misunderstanding out there is that they're in competition, right? Sure, the cryptocurrency craze took speculative capital out of the gold space, but the next move, the next big mega trend, isn't cryptos versus gold. The next big mega trend is private assets dominating the market over public assets. So when I say public assets, I mean things like bonds, right? That that 10-year yield getting down to 206, you know, the bond market's catching a bid right now. That 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 eventually will turn and it'll blow up overseas first, but confidence in governments is dying. That will be expressed in the bond market and there will be a pivot away from municipal bonds, treasuries, and eventually that that the speculative capital will come back to gold and cryptos and, and they'll rise together. And the strongest currencies, this is another thing that gold bugs won't like. The dollar, everybody calling for the dollar crash because it's been down this week, that'll reverse before year end. And and I think there's gonna come a scenario here in the next six months where gold, cryptos, and the dollar are on a savage bull market that's gonna be fun as all hell. Take that for it's contrarian. Almost like, <laughs> it's almost it's almost like the first crypto run was training foot soldiers for the gold army. A wise man once said, and who is that wise man, Mr. Hodge? I don't know. Mr. Hodge, that's who that wise man was. And um, I agree with you. And the money, uh, the size of the crypto market is so small that um, it need not compete uh, with gold, especially if global capital is fleeing for safe havens. And so just to touch on this emotional low thing, uh, once again, it's always when you least expect it that the market turns, right? Whether it's um, your example at uh, the conference or the infighting on Twitter among uh, proponents of, of precious metals and, and junior miners that I've been speaking about over the past couple of weeks, it's always right after those um, emotional lows and often um, stock price lows that the inflection point comes, right? And we've seen that in rare earths where um, quality companies with quality deposits have seen their stocks drift to uh, uh, all-time lows and then boom, you get this little um, flare up with the trade war and China threatening like um, again, you had been writing about um, several months prior in, in summer of last year and so um, just following that same script again, hitting a low capitulation, whatever inflection, and then boom, hockey stick up and to the right. It remains to be seen if this rare earth thing is going to last, but, um, you know, I wanted to get a bit more in depth. I'm going to play host now for a bit. Um, it, I wanted to get more in depth about the, the rare earth boom, um, last time and, and maybe have you talk a little bit more in depth about your experience and, um, some of the successes you had, some of the companies you were involved with, feel free to get um, as personal as you want with with how you were involved with those companies. But um, also how, how quickly they rose and, and how exciting that was, because, you know, I've talked to folks and, and you have as well and you were involved in this. I wasn't where. Um, just think about the past couple of years where at least I, I know I've written checks for companies at 40 cents and then again at 10 cents, but in rare earths in 2010 and 2011, you were writing checks at 25 cents and then 60 days later at a dollar. Just, can you, can you talk a couple of minutes about the, what happened back then? Absolutely. I, and, and your, and your involvement in it, not just the, the China thing. Sure. Yeah. And I'll go back a little bit. Let, let, let's kind of step back and, and just provide a bit of context, right? From the sixties to the eighties, the U S was 
the global leader in rare earth mineral production. They had a mine out in California um, and that mine eventually closed, right? And so China gained ground in the 90s at an incredible rate. They came in and, and I recall there was a quote from, I forget exactly who it was from, but it was a, a high up uh, public official in China that said that the goal of China was for them to be the Saudi Arabia of rare earths. And so China, which always plays the long game, understood that if you could dominate the production um, and the refining of these rare earths, because the deposits themselves are not very rare. It's the extraction process, which is dirty. It pollutes. Um, and, and frankly, nobody wants it in their backyard. And so China understood that if they could come in and buy assets all around the world and take, you know, the production side of it and the refining side of it um, and make China home base for that, that they could control supply chains of all the major technologies. We're talking satellites, lasers, jet engines, radar, you name it, stuff the military needs, stuff you need every day, stuff in your iPhone. Um, and, and they did that very, very well. We fast forward to 2010 and, and there's some analogs here with, with what's going on today in 2010, a small little Chinese fishing captain, right? Had a little small boat and he was found to be in waters that were under dispute by both Japan and China. Um, China went ahead and confiscated the ship, accused Japan of, basically being in their territory, an argument ensued. And so what what China did was they said, okay, we're going to restrict the supply of rare earth minerals to you and everyone else. And a panic hit. And so I'll, I'll share a personal story. Uh, there were two companies specifically that, that I loaded up on, and I was fortunate enough uh, to ask people in the space in the industry that understood this before I did that said, listen, you know, don't bet the house on this, but take a position, take a position that would be significant enough to you if this went up tenfold and, and hold that and let's see what, what, what happens with it. And so there was a company named Rare Element Resources. I believe I got into that company at 16 cents um, and that 16 cents turned into 50 cents in a matter of weeks 50 cents turned to three dollars in a matter of weeks again and you know within within i think a 12 month time span that 16 cent stock uh, rose i think it got as high as 1850 or 19 dollars i tapped out at 16 dollars it wasn't a humongous stake for me, but it was large enough to make me think I could do this for a living and absolutely encourage my uh, my speculative uh, uh, impulse that always existed. It was great to be able to monetize that, and I've been addicted to the space ever since, right? So the rare earth mania really um, was a precursor of what I see happening with gold stocks, right? And 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 again, some more context on a personal note, I had also just seen the global financial crisis of 2008 and what happened to gold and, and how that was used as a hedge during a time of fear. And, you know, gold ran up to 1900, the gold stocks were on fire. Um, dumbass majors started overpaying for every asset that they could buy because they thought scale equaled um, a bigger market cap. It would command a bigger market cap. And of course, we know what happened there as well. Things turned around and with the exception of 2016, um, for a couple of months, we really haven't had a bull market in gold since. 
So back to my rare earth story. All of those stocks that turned out to be, you know, 16 cents to $18, those were round trips, right? And the reason they were round trips is the World Trade Organization stepped up and ruled that China could not impose export limits. So it said, China, you control, you know, the bulk of production of these very, very important metals you are not going to be able to restrict it. You are a member of the WTO, the World Trade Organization. And so not going to happen. Um, we're, not, we're not doing that. And, and they were forced um, to, to once again become the global supplier of these rare earths. And so I just wrote a piece for the Outsider Club la- last week. Um, and, and prior to that, the week before, I, I, I got it out to subscribers of Junior Mining Monthly. But, you know, I talked about what the end game is and the analogs this time around. And this time around, I believe that China has the financial wherewithal to actually go to the WTO and tell them to go fuck themselves and, and, and basically explain to them that, you know, they, they no longer wish to be members. And if that actually is what happens... Um, you know, glo- financial institutions will be restructured as we know them. Um, I, I, I see currencies um, drastically, drastically having to restructure themselves. Um, I think that the World Financial Center is slowly and surely shifting towards China. Um, I do think the U.S. has a small window to address that. But look, let's be frank. We live in the U.S. here. We have infrastructure problems. We have healthcare issues. Um, we have so many states on the verge of bankruptcy or mathematically already bankrupt, right? And so when do we address those issues as a country here? Let's just talk financially. And if we don't address them now when money is cheap, how are we going to address them later when rates go back up? Because they will go back up. The business cycle is the business cycle, folks. You can only do this for a while. You can do it for a while, as Japan has showed, but there will be limits. Eventually, this all implodes and we have to start from scratch. So if we don't, take care of these issues that that are real legitimate problems that are dangerous to our existence as the global financial powerhouse we're not going to be able to do it in 5 10 or 15 years so you know i i, I think the long game is china buy continues to buy up us treasuries and one day the us is really really vulnerable the dollar isn't the safe haven um, the Chinese currency will be the safe haven. And I think they'll lock that up by dumping treasuries at a pace and a rate that the market won't be able to absorb. And uh, you think you think 2008 was something. Watch when that one happens. Well, holy cow. Um, that, was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll make it even more sad is that there's going to come a time, and I think you've said this as well, where the, the U.S. is just going to simply... Uh, become a, the number two uh, economy in the world. The only scary thing is that there's aircraft carriers and nuclear weapons involved. Correct. So again, where there hasn't been where there hasn't been in previous transitions of, of global economic powerhouses in previous empires. I mean, there's been wars, but there's never been nuclear weapons. Well, I, I, I I'll say this. You know, let let's remember you know the 40s, and let's remember what we did right to Japan. Um, that was the last time that power really shifted, right? We got Bretton Woods, we got um, the U.S. became the dominant force, and that at that time, you know, that was the 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 icing on the cake. It was tragic. It was, I, I you know, if you if you know your history, I think it was unnecessary, um, but it was a hell of a nasty statement to make that we were number one, right? 
Mm-hmm. Let's, mm-hmm. Ho- let's hope that um, let's hope that this is a financial catastrophe um, that ends up happening that makes everybody forces everybody to get their house in order individually and collectively, um, and not something on that scale that signals to the world that the U.S. is no longer um, the behemoth that it was. And, and let's hope that you know China is kinder to us, frankly, than we were to Japan and and, and a lot of the world. What else? <laughs> the Cubs are in first place. That's awesome. That makes me happy. <laughs> me lighten it up a little bit. Sorry to be so grim, folks. That's the next 30 Bye. years in my simple brain in a nutshell. No, I think I no, I think that's you know, a lot of us see it that way and um, you know, one of the reasons that we're whatever have the political views we do or our firearms owners or our gold bugs or are worried about the debt or, you know, whatever it is. And, and also, um, you know, perhaps um, some of the underlying reasons uh, for the things you see in the world around you, why the world is so bizarre. I hate to mention the title of the podcast every single time, but that's why we're here. That's what we're talking about. And all the stuff you see is, is, is a function of those those cycles, those debt cycles, the money in the world, the inflation, the not money in the world, the deflation, the fake meat, the real meat, etc., the strikes, the gutters. Um, that's why we're here. So how do you make money from it, right? Let's break it back down to people. Um, what people really want to know in, in the short term is if you can't do anything about you know, policy in this country or your country, wherever you live, how can you at least profit from it so that you can have some sort of hedge for your family and for yourself? And so, you know, let's, let's talk some ideas, you know, the gold space. Um, I've mentioned Almaden, I've mentioned Revival Gold. Um, you know, there are any, any names that you want to share? And then I want to talk a crypto name that we've, we've, you know, talked up quite a bit. And, and again, full disclosure, everybody, if we mention these names, we likely own them, have owned them or will own them. So um, we like to both put our money where our mouth is and we are biased in everything that we talk about, or at least I am, because if not, I wouldn't be talking about it, right? Yeah, I own those gold companies. I write about those gold companies, Midas, Almaden, Revival, um, one that's going to trade here. I actually should mention it because it was supposed to trade on the the fifth, and exchanges being exchanges, it's going to trade on the tenth. Magna Gold, um, and then some of the bigger names, of course, man, like um, Franklin Nevada pays a dividend, like stuff like that. I mean, especially for the environment that you know we see we see coming. And then um, I, you know, I'm going to throw a ton of names out there, but I look at. Them. You know, back to basics, deposits, teams, people, share structure. Where, where's the gold going to come from? Where's the copper going to come from? Where's the zinc and nickel going to come from that are going to go in the batteries and, and power the world? Uh, you know, uh, companies like the, the Cucho Coppers of the world, for example. And, yeah, and, and, that's a great name. And, and, and we'll talk about Hydro 66 before we even talk about crypto. I saw... Uh, a report this this week out. I think it was, gosh, MIT Technology Review or something. I'll dig up the link. We'll put it up. Um, 
about how dirty it is to program a, an AI thing, how dirty it is to program a robot to run on artificial intelligence, because why? Because of all the electricity it takes to power the data centers that run the algorithms that control the robot. And my first thought was, well, you know what? It wouldn't be so dirty if your servers were in Sweden being powered by hydroelectricity. And and that's just one of the facets of the of the thesis behind investing in Hydro 66 is high power computing and co-location. It's really the has been the bulk of their business for the past whatever, uh, 12 months while crypto prices were, were low again is, you know, leasing part of their server halls for people that need super redundant power and, and, and do super critical computing, high-speed calculations or high-speed video rendering or uh, whatever, um, whatever you use HPC for, high-powered computing. Um, and so when when you see those things, it's like a, it's like a no brainer. It's like yeah, no shit. It takes a lot of energy to to run servers to program robots, and yeah, no crap. It takes a lot of electricity to run servers for all these driverless cars with all these sensors that are feeding data into computers. It's like a, it's just a no brainer to put your to put your servers in a place with cheap power costs and uh, uh, excess power and and clean power, and so. Um, and that's without even talking about without even talking about crypto mining. And and as I say that, Bitcoin went back over eight thousand dollars today, and um, it's just like printing money for these folks, especially when they have their own algorithms that tell them when it's time to buy more mining equipment based on the cycles of the of the the crypto algorithms themselves. And so I'm not smart enough to understand any of that, but I can regurgitate it and and I can see it and I can recognize a good investment when I see one. I don't know, Gerardo, what else you wanted to say about Hydro 66, but go ahead. Well, no, I wanted to give you your flowers while you're still here, Nick, and hopefully you're with us for a long time. But on this one, you absolutely deserve it. You called the bottom in the crypto space, if I recall correctly, when Bitcoin was at 3,600. You actually did it on this podcast. So for all 25 of you that are listening that actually said, oh, shit, what is this Hydro 66 play? Which, by the way, was trading at 26 cents at the time. And, and, and listen to Nick say, I think this is the bottom because you can't produce below this $3,600 level. Nobody's profitable, so it's going to drive all the weaker players out of the market, and it's going to embolden the strong hands that are able to raise capital and have a sustainable business model to go and acquire assets that are accretive. What's happened since then? Bitcoin went from $3,600. We're now at $8,000. I think it's been less than a month and a half since you called that low. And what's happened to Hydro 66? It's gone from $0.26 to $0.51 Canadian as we speak Again, this is all free information, folks. You do with it as you please. We don't give investment advice. We like to provide ideas. Obviously, we're full of opinions, some smarter than others, but kudos to you. Flowers to you, Mr. Hodge. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I get <laughs> Take a damn compliment, from... Nick. Take a damn compliment. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Tell me about your process hey, well, of how you get information, process, digest it, apply it. No, I will never do that. Um, I, I, I will pat my chest for one more second. I gave an interview at the very top. I gave an interview that was published on, it was like December 14th or December 17th, 2017, where I gave a warning to crypto investors that it wasn't going any higher. So top and bottom. And now that, that's it. I like it. I like it. Let's talk social media, more banning on social media. Before I ask you your opinion, let me be absolutely clear about my opinion about banning voices. Free speech 
should be protected. Now, free speech should be protected up to the point where you are violently threat. When you are threatening people with violence, that is a different thing. Anything up until that point, fuck your feelings, right? Um, look, there, there's people, I had a situation a month and a half ago, you know, where a guy flipped me off and, you know, yelled his white supremacist thing and whoop-de-whoop-de-whoop, all good. You can yell whatever you want to yell up until the point where you approach my vehicle or my house. At that point, it becomes a different thing. So I think free speech on social media should be treated the way it should be treated according to the law, Right. Everybody has the right to march for whatever they feel. You're a Cardinal fan. You don't like the Cubs. Fuck the Cubs. Great. You can say all you want about that until it becomes physically threatening to anybody involved. Um, that, that That's my two cents. We can't ban opinions that we don't like just because we don't like the opinions. Now, if those opinions happen to coincide and go hand in hand with actual violence, we are talking about a different thing now. And yes, those people, those individuals, those groups, if they are known and they have a track record and, and, and they're out there being violent and using that speech to actually physically harm people, then we're talking, that's a whole different thing, whole different subject. That's not a free speech thing. That's assault. That's illegal. But free speech, we, you know, we, we need an exchange of ideas in this country. And if your idea is better, it'll win out. Well, that's it. I think you said it. I don't have... Much more to add. I talked about it. Uh, I don't keep track of time, really, but a couple months ago, <laughs> whenever Al- whenever Alex Jones was banned from whatever platform he was banned from, then um, and it's not just on the the far right or, or the extreme right or whatever you want to call it. There's there's liberals being banned as well, and for things that are not violent. So yeah, let me be clear. I'm I'm, I'm with you. Um, free speech is free speech. Your feelings don't matter. Um, but people are being kicked off platforms like Twitter now for for not violent things on both sides of the political spectrum. And I saw, um, and we can talk about East Side of Stilling if you want, but I saw John Rich tweeting today that his song, Shut Up About Politics, which is the number one country song in the country right now, was banned from Twitter. So, you know, if we're banning mainstream country songs because they mention the word politics or shut up about politics, it, you know... I haven't really formed my thoughts, but it's it just seems to me that they're trying to sanitize. They're trying to make the uh, discussion so vanilla all in the name of, of someone or some, yeah, someone not getting their feelings hurt. And um, Instagram, I think, was really the leader in this where you're not allowed to, you know, say a nasty comment on someone's picture where they can report you and, and have the comment removed. And um that's not reality, right? That's uh, something that's fake. It's, you know, you're scrubbing reality. You're suppressing someone's opinion that's not being violent. Um, and so it, it's sanitized and it's dangerous, right? I mean, that's that's 1984 stuff. That's that's Orwell stuff. That's It's quite dangerous. And I, I just want to just keep mentioning, make sure it's in the dialogue because it's happening and it's, um, it's, tough, to, it's tough to combat, you know, if you're if you use those platforms as a voice and the platform bans you, well, where's your voice then, right? And they're private companies, so you know, there might be litigation, et cetera. And that's beyond my that's beyond my my pay grade. But um, something to pay attention to, something to watch, and something that is certainly happening. We can't turn into an algorithm society, folks, where 
we say these words are bad, these words are good, so you can only say and hear these words. I want to hear how stupid Alex Jones sounds every week so I know what to pay attention to because if he has 20 million people following him listening to half the shit that he says, saying that, you know, Sandy Hook was a, a falsehood and, you know, kids didn't get killed, these people were actors, I want to hear that dumbass out there saying it so I can point to it and, and talk to people that have half a brain and say, do you think that that man is suitable for following and if you do, that just tells me something more about you. And I want to know that. I would much rather know who the white supremacists are or who the nationalists are or who the, you know, whatever extremists, left or right, who they are. I would rather know who they are so I could prepare for that than have to wonder if everybody's it. Because that's kind of what happens when you don't know how people feel. You start looking at the world in a way that you think, everybody is 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 that person everybody's a white supremacist every mexican guy is a cartel member right every, every black kid with a hoodie is gonna rob me the world just isn't like that folks get out there and travel a little little bit talk with different people um exchange ideas respectfully and we have so much more in common regardless of income level or ethnicity or nationality than we, than, than we do have differences are there real differences absolutely um are they what we, 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 you know, fear most? No, it's kind of like the stock market. You know, it's, it's a fear and greed thing. Um, neither one is an accurate description of, 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 of what, what is out there in the real world. And again, if social media where so many people depend on that for an exchange of views, if, if they start sanitizing to the point where it's just an algorithm and keywords, then, you know, maybe there is an opportunity there to come up with a different type of social media. Oh, what are my thoughts? Um, yeah, the the free uh, exchange of ideas, the freedom of, of speech and the freedom of expression, those are like foundations of a free society. And so when you start homogenizing those um, and when you start scrubbing those, it, it makes you deviate from being uh, a truly free society. And that is not a good thing. Would you call me a homogenizer? Yes. <laughs> You and that damn milk. <laughs> uh, I love it. Mr. Hodge, do you have any positive stories? I, I, I was going to talk about the horses that keep dying at Santa Anita. I don't want to talk about that this week because I think this has been a pretty heavy podcast thus far. Um, we talked about the U.S. and China. Um, word of caution on that front. When I tell you that I invested or speculated um, is a more accurate word in a company that went from 16 cents to $18 and 50 cents. Um, I, I, I should caution in case I didn't, that was a round trip ticket. I was fortunate enough to get out before it turned back. Um, uh, another side note, I was actually was trading options around that. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, there was a day where literally I, I, I think I turned $2,000 into like $48,000, bought a ticket to go visit my parents in Mexico, called my brother, sent him some money and, and was lucky enough to do that a couple of times. That's how crazy and extreme the greed side can get. Take a little bit off the top on your way up, guys. If you get a five-bagger, a 10-bagger, don't be afraid to take a little bit off. Go take your husband or your wife out to dinner. Buy something nice for the kids. Do something nice for yourself. And then you know, let a little bit of it ride and see how much the mania lasts. But don't misinterpret what happened last time as a blueprint for what will happen this time. What you can always count on is fear and you can count on greed. The extremes are the extremes. We don't know what it's going to be. So just be cautious. 
you have got to sell. The money's not real anyway, and you can't eat it. Well said. Well said. Well said. How positive it, story. Positive there stories. Was a, go yes. ahead. No, 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 no. no. I was I, I was gonna ask you again. I was gonna ask you about your pond, because I know it's 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 that time where it's thawing out and you're hunting, you're getting turkeys finally. How's that coming along? I'm gonna know about that. The the turkey season is over. It ended at the end of May. We don't hunt again until um, dove season in September. Uh, but we have been fishing, me and uh, my three-year-old girl. We have been catching bass and sunfish from the pond. She can identify the difference between the two kinds of fish and knows their names. Get she can reel here. them. <laughs> I love she can reel. She can reel them in, and it's all planted down there with, um, if you really want to know, it's a mix of, I forget the percentages, but uh, black oil, sunflower seed, milky vetch, deer vetch, uh, giant or colossal red clover, and uh, uh, a grass that deer and elk are fond of called San Juan, S-A-N-F-O-I-N. And then I put 50 pounds of uh, Milo in the spreader as well, or some people call that sorghum. It's like a four foot tall uh, grass that gets a real thick clump of grains at the top. Um, So that's all growing away down there. And come fall time, all the critters will um, want to eat all that stuff. So yeah, coming along, we like it. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. That's why I asked. That's good stuff, man. There was a giant double rainbow in Spokane this week. We had um, a really kind of weird thunderstorm come through, and it was still sunny. And I can post a picture, but (laughs) um, rare, rare double rainbow arcing the city and the bridges and uh, the river. That was fantastic. And uh, informational. There was a health study, you know, how everybody is counting their steps these days. Um, somebody went ahead and did a study. How many steps are good? How many steps are bad? The ideal step count for a day is 4,500 steps. It turns out, at least for this study, which focused on women, I forget how long, but um, the women who walked an average of 4,500 steps a day Um, lived the longest in the study. The benefit uh, of walking plateaued once you got to 7,500 steps a day. So there is a threshold to the benefit. But um, just quantifying what we already knew, get up off your butt. I love it. I love it. So if we we kind of intertwine that with the other two studies that that I read earlier in the year where it said if, if you'd like to dabble in a alcoholic beverage or 10 from time to time you know the best way to offset that according to this study was to enjoy a nice puff whether it's a vape or 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 a smoke but of of cannabis right they said marijuana drastically reduces um the ill effects of alcohol so again i'm not a doctor i'm not giving you doctor advice or health advice go and look it up and, and figure out if it's something for you but um hey walk have a couple of glasses of wine little puff of the cannabis from time to time and you know you might just live a longer healthier life everything in moderation except chickens and avocados because <laughs> it'll cost you <laughs> and you'll piss off the chickens <laughs> good stuff anything else on the docket are we gonna make this one a short one and let people get on with their week 
Let's do it. Let's do it. I, 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 we, we talked different stock names. Um, we talked Hydro 66. I mentioned it's gone from 26 cents to 51 cents. Um, at that, at that market cap, at the current market cap, I still think it's absolutely worth looking at. Um, I think it's a bargain. I think you'd be, um, you know, it's probably a good speculation, but we'll see. We'll talk about it in a month or two again, and we'll see what's happened since then. Them closing on that $40 million financing, which will lead to a massive build out is going to be critical. And that is supposed to happen if I'm not mistaken by month's end, correct? Well, I was just going to say podcasts are supposed to be in depth. So I'll get in depth for you for a second. Just look at uh, what's it trading with now? A fifty million dollar market cap? Is that right? What's the current market cap of Hydro Sixty Six? You let, know, off the top of your let, head. Let, let's put it sixty pre deal closing, right? They have one hundred twenty seven million shares outstanding. It closed today at I believe fifty one cents. So quick there math you go. in my head, yeah, it tells me it's about sixty four million or so market cap. That would be Canadian. So soon, forty million of that U.S. is going to be backed by cash. So what's nearly 100% of that is going to be backed by cash very soon. Um, granted, they're going to double the share count. They're going to give whatever is currently out now to the shareholders of the private company that they are acquiring. But as I understand it, um, that's just a few um, very long-term, strong-handed shareholders as well. So it's not like those shares are going willy-nilly all over the place. So the share structure is going to be um, as tight as it is now with the the few large uh, shareholders like David Rowe that own Hydro 66. So it's not like there's going to be a big float out there. There's not. There's still not going to be a, a lot of stock for the public. And so you're going to have this entity that comes trading with $40 million U.S. in cash, um, whatever the number is, 200 megawatts of installed capacity, um, 150 of that are roughly built out. I'm making numbers up now, but then the 40 million the raising is to build out um, the rest of it. Um, uh, a contract with a Japanese firm that they're building out for to to fulfill orders uh, uh, for, and uh, a blended management of the the two teams um, that are both obviously uh, well established in the in the space and and bring different uh, sets of expertise. Um, a diverse uh, geographic footprint as far as uh, where the data centers are and the, and the services they can uh, provide and, uh, and a blending of the customers. Um, so you're going to have an entity here that's uh, whatever, the largest, whatever they're calling it, largest infra blockchain infrastructure company in um, the world, it's going to become, uh, by default, it almost has to become the, the crypto ETF of, the, of, of North America and, and North American exchanges. And so, I don't know, it, it's pretty damn exciting. I don't want to like climb over a wall and it not happen, but it, it seems like everything's right. Everything is lining up. The, the space is hot. They certainly at $8,000 are making a lot of money on, on cryptos. They make money below, you know, $4,000. So yeah, exciting. Agreed. And, and the one, the one common denominator to the diversification of data centers and, 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 and mining capabilities, it's Texas, Louisiana, and Sweden. And obviously if you look at all three of those, the one common denominator is going to be um, lower quartile energy cost, energy cost, of course, being the biggest input to mining. Um, 
It's a, it, this is a real play, folks, with real people. We said that to you back when Nick and I toured the Hydro 66 facilities. You know, no shade to Hive, but, you know, we mentioned that when we saw the Hive facility from the exterior anyway, there didn't appear to be much action happening. We've seen subsequently what's happened there with Genesis Mining and Hive and, you know, the bickering there and, and neither side being happy with how that was rolled out out there. Um, this is a, this is a different monster. And again, if, you know, if Bitcoin does nothing but hold up to 8,000, this is a cash cow. If we get any kind of, uh, resemblance to the mania that happened last time. And a lot of people that follow the space that are a lot smarter than I am, believe that's exactly what's coming. Then, then, uh, yeah, 50 cents Canadian may seem like a steal very, very soon. Yep. I love it. I love it. Nick. It's a pleasure as always. Anything else you want to get off your chest? Nope, that's it. I'm good. I like it. Be nice to each other, everybody. Take care of each other. Be good. Enjoy your week. Episode 22 of Bizarro World. Have a good one, everyone. See ya.